So this week, as I said just a little bit earlier there, we'll be closing up this portion of our series on doubt. Though, I do think we'll plan on returning to it at some point in the future. Last week, we asked the question, am I doing enough? And we struggled with the reality that we are not and that we cannot do enough to please God. And while we had to sit in that for a minute, we were also encouraged to be reminded that though we cannot do enough, Christ has done it all. And so faith in him is enough. This week we'll be looking at the question, can he, can God forgive that? We each have sin in our lives. We each have struggles that bring us guilt and shame. We have all hurt someone. We've all hurt God deeply. And so as we sit in that realization, doubt begins to fester, does it not? Is it's God's grace enough to cover this? Can, can he truly forgive this sin? Did he truly cover all of my sin? Our sin is overwhelming, church. We've blocked a lot of it out. We do our best to forget what sin we can, but there are some sins that we just can't get out of our heads. We have some sins that the enemy just keeps throwing back in our faces to remind us of just how broken we truly are, how unredeemable we truly are. And as those sins fester in our memory, we ask ourselves the question, can can God forgive that? To answer this question, we are going to turn to the book of 1 John, and we'll be looking at chapter 1, verses 8 to 10 of this text. Now, this text is, is one that, that you've heard me state often, so it should be somewhat familiar. 1 John is, is not a large book. We find it at the very end of the Bible, or pretty much towards the end of the Bible. It was written by the last surviving apostle, John, to encourage and instruct the church. False teachers had been coming up out of the woodwork and John was burdened to continue to follow the, to instruct the followers of Christ in sound doctrine and in how they interacted with each other. May we keep in, that in mind as we turn to these verses from Scripture this morning. If you have your Bible with you, again, the text is 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. I encourage you to turn there now. If you don't have your Bible with you, there should be one in the back of the pew in front of you or you can follow along as the words will be on the screens beside me. We've been sitting for a little while, except for maybe you five in the front, but you're okay. That's all right. You're young. You've got good, good legs in these. So I'm going to encourage you to stand if you are able as we read the word of the Lord. 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 to 10. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar. And his word is not in us. Lessons the reading. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word, for your word is truth. God, I pray that you would speak through your word this morning, that you would perform the miracle that feeds our souls. We pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. A family is celebrating father's promotion. He's invited his brothers and sisters, their kids, as well as his mom and dad to come out to a special fancy dinner. Tommy's mom gets them all dressed up for dad's big night. Suit jacket, tie, pressed pants with no holes that fit just right. Shiny black shoes, the whole deal. And, and his mom is doing his, or as, as his mom is doing his hair, she tells Tommy not to go outside. They are, they're going to be leaving soon, and it rained this afternoon, and it's going to be muddy out there. 
Tommy understands, but that doesn't stop him from slipping outside anyway when his mother is getting his little sister ready and is distracted. It's a beautiful day outside. The rain clouds have gone, and yes, there are some puddles, but the sun is out, and the air smells so good, and Tommy just can't resist being outside. He starts kicking the soccer ball around. Mom probably won't notice the smudges on his shoes, and even if she did, they're just small ones. Shouldn't be too big of a deal, he thinks. He gets a little lost in his own world as he dribbles the soccer ball towards the goal. He's picking up speed and getting ready to bury the ball in the back of the netting, but he doesn't see the puddle. Planting his shoe in the middle of a large puddle of water, Tommy loses his footing and the grass tears, and he falls flat on his back into the wet lawn. He tries to get up, but the slick ground causes him to fall again, and now his nice suit jacket, tie, pants that actually fit, shiny shoes, and newly done hair are covered in wet grass and mud. He has to crawl out to get some better footing, and as he gets to his feet, he looks to the door of the house. What now? What happens now? He's done exactly what he wasn't supposed to. He's done exactly what he knew he wasn't allowed to do. He didn't think it would hurt. He hadn't come outside intending to get his clothes all messed up. He just wanted to have some fun. It, it wasn't supposed to end like this. And yet, despite his best intentions, here he was. And though the mud and grass stuck everywhere, made his clothes incredibly uncomfortable, and though he was wet and getting cold, he looked at the door to the house with dread. Though he was uncomfortable in his current condition, he was scared to go to where he knew he could get warm and dry because that's where mom was. And what would she say? We've probably had experiences like young Tommy growing up. We did exactly what our parents told us not to do, and then we found out why they told us not to do it. But this experience is not limited to the reaction or the relationship between children and parents, is it? How many times have we done exactly what we know God has told us not to do? But the weather was warm, and the rain had passed, and, and it looked so nice outside, and we just wanted to have a little fun. Tommy's vice may have been a little game of pickup soccer. Our vices tend to be quite a bit more nefarious, don't they? Maybe it's lying, maybe it's stealing, maybe it's cheating in life or on your spouse. Maybe it's lust, maybe it's envy, maybe it's anger. Pick a commandment, and we've broken it one way or another. Even though God has given us explicit instruction, he's told us that what we should be doing and, and what we shouldn't be doing, but we've each had our moments where we've looked at him and said, yeah, I'm going to sneak outside and go play soccer. We've each looked at what we know to be right and done the opposite. We figure we can hide the scuffs on our shoes for a while. Probably won't take us too long to polish those smudges out anyway, right? Might as well have some fun while we can. And then the grass gives out underneath us and we fall in the mud and we know that there is no hiding it now. We're busted. We're uncomfortable in the evidence of our sin. Mud splattered on our suit jacket, smudged all over our face, all over our pants and shoes, grass in our hair. There's no hiding this anymore. And then the guilt sets in, doesn't it? We should have known better. Sometimes maybe we're angry, not that, not that we disobeyed, but that the grass gave out. We want to blame someone else, anyone else, for the mess that we found ourselves in. We, we had it under control, man, like we were good. This wasn't supposed to happen. It didn't have to get this bad. 
And if that's where we're at, church, we need to take a minute and, and reflect. There are reasons that we were told not to go outside, right? Because God knows that the grass will give way under the weight of our activities and our addictions. We don't have anyone to be mad at but ourselves. The mud on our clothes and our face is evidence of our disobedience, not just the result of a plan gone awry. It is proof of what we already know. It is proof that we are sinners. Not what we like to hear. Not what we want to hear, but sometimes the truth is hard. Sometimes the truth is painful. We're, we're sinners, each of us, at our core, sinful and broken. And so we're left with Tommy looking at the door to the house just as he knows where his mom is. We know where our Heavenly Father is, but where Tommy would have to enter the house to find his mother, the father we answer to, is not limited to a building. Sure, we come to church to worship him, but that's so that we might do it. As a group, that as a body of believers, we might be fed by the fellowship of worshiping our God together. We do not need to come to these four walls to reach out to our Heavenly Father. He is always there. Our God is always available. As we sit in our muddy clothes, our guilt and our shame, that's it's a bit of a hard pill to swallow, isn't it? We can go to him now, but what will he do? We've done exactly what he told us not to. And this time, we're not just talking smudges on the shoes. We've done messed up. Things are bad. There's a party tonight. And what we have done proves that we don't deserve to be there. The suit is ruined. The day is scary. We've, we've totally blown it, like big time. And then the enemy comes to us in our weakness, throwing our failures in our face, laughing at us, reminding us of God's demands and how we clearly fall short. And the doubt settles in, doesn't it? What's God going to think of us? Can he forgive that? Maybe some of us are struggling to relate to the illustration. Maybe we can't think of a time that we royally messed up, that we felt the guilt that Tommy is sitting in. If that's the case, guard your heart and hear these words from Martin Luther who once said, Satan let some live smugly without temptation in order that they might think and believe that they are holy. Satan wants to make saints sinners, and he wants to make confident sinners believe that they are saints. Each of us is guilty. Each of us is sinful, whether we sin in confident ignorance or if we are all aware of our shortcomings. So how are we doing with that, church? How are we doing with the recognition that we have each fallen short of God's desires for us, that we have each and every one of us rebelled against God in our own way, that each of us is a broken sinner? And how are we doing with the guilt, with the shame? How are we doing with the doubt that God could ever love us after all that we've done? How are we doing with the doubt that God could ever forgive that, the, the big sin that might be secret or might be public, but we know about it? And we wonder how God could ever forgive us for it. Tommy looked at the door to the house and, and knew what he had to do. He trudged up the steps to the back porch, opened the door, and stepped inside. He found his mother in the bathroom putting barrettes in her beautiful dark hair. As he watched his mother's back, he, he didn't know what to say, and so he just started to cry as he thought of how he had failed and how angry she had every right to be. His mom saw him in the bathroom mirror before she turned and took in her mud-covered son. 
And then the words came, I'm, I'm sorry, Mom, I, I didn't listen. I went out and I played. I did exactly what you told me not to, and I slipped and fell and got mud all over my clothes. I'm so sorry. How does Mom respond? Like the father of the prodigal son. The father's son had insulted him, left home, and blown all of his inheritance on wild living. Living that his father would most definitely disapprove of. When all the money was gone, the son realized that the servants in his father's house ate better than he did. And so he returned home intending to become a servant. And the father sees his son far off. In fact, had been waiting for the prodigal son to return home. And dad rushes down the lane and embraces the child that had disobeyed him, that had hurt him, that had run from him, but had turned and come back to him. Tommy's mother wrapped the boy in a hug, pressed his filthy face into her shoulder and whispered into his ear, I love you, son, and I forgive you. And church, that is what our text today tells us our Heavenly Father does for us. The Bible tells us that God loves us so much that He sent His Son, His one and only Son, to die for us. That He sent Jesus to us and Jesus lived with us and He ate with us. He healed our sicknesses. He cast out our demons. And then one day we betrayed Him. And we sentenced Him to death, to die a death that He had not earned and that He did not deserve. We sentenced Him to die on a cross, a cursed tree. But as he was attached to the cross, as the nails went through his hands and his feet, and as he was lifted up, the Bible tells us that Jesus became sin for us. For all the times we've snuck out the door and lived the life we've wanted. For all the times we've scuffed our shoes. For all the times we've fallen in the mud. For all the times we've lied, stolen, cheated, envied, gotten angry, been selfish, been rude. For all the times we've gossiped. For all the things we've done when others weren't looking and covered up so that they might never know. Every sin we've ever committed and ever will commit, Jesus died for all of them. And there on the cross, he suffered for them. And there on the cross, yeah, he died for them in our place to pay the price that we could not, that we might be forgiven. But he did not stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And when we believe in him and we trust in him, when we rest in the faith that he has given us, we live in the promises of God. Through faith, we live in the benefits of forgiveness. Through faith, the dirty rags of our sins are taken from us and we are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Through faith, we are declared children of God and heirs with Christ to all the promises of Scripture. This is good news. This is fantastic news, church. When we are covered in mud, our God calls us to come to Him. He calls us to confession. Confession is maybe something we have mixed ideas about. Confessing something is not just verbalizing it. It's not just saying it out loud so that someone else hears it. Confession of sin is coming to a place where you honestly agree with God about your sin. It is an intentional recognition that you have done wrong. It is not lip service. It is intended. It is a confession to God. When we corporately confess as a church, it is not intended to be lip service. It is intended to help give us the language of confession, much in the same way the Lord's Prayer gives us the language of prayer. We do it corporately as a body, together, out loud, for we recognize that many sins are sins we all participate in, either as a group or individually. 
And there's accountability and fellowship and recognizing and expressing those shortcomings out loud together. But we also need to take time to confess individually to God's ears alone the things that are between you and him, the dark things of our hearts. Confession is necessary for the Christian. Repentance is a continual part of a believer's walk of faith. For we will continually need to confess and repent of the sin that we have fallen into. But church, take heart in the promise, the promises of God that we see in our text this morning. Where we read, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When we confess, we have the promise of God's forgiveness. God loves you so much. He has forgiven you for every wrong you have ever done, and he will forgive you for every wrong you will ever do. There is no sin that he does not know about. There is no sin that he did not die for. There is no sin that he will not forgive. So yes, church, he can and will forgive that. After Tommy's mother had forgiven him, she took the muddy clothes from him and dressed him anew. She pulled, him, she pulled out the grass and redid his hair. He was dressed back in finery again, ready for the dinner that night. Our text tells us that God forgives us, but that he also purifies us from all unrighteousness. And we confess we are clothed anew, though we have gotten the old clothes dirty. God does not make us walk around in our shame. He continues to clean us, to purify us. What a fantastic promise we have from our God through faith. And when the devil comes around, when the enemy reminds us of what dirty, rotten sinners we are, when those times come, I encourage you to think of another saying of Martin Luther's. When Satan reminds me that I am a sinner, writes the reformer, he comforts me immeasurably since Christ died for sinners. Christ died for you, sinner. Believe in him. Trust in him. Have faith in him that the promises of his death and resurrection would be yours. I don't know what sin is haunting you. I don't know what hurts you're going through. I don't know what your journey looks like right now. But as we close, I want to leave you with these words. They're the words of a great man who died this week. It's been said that Tim Keller was a once-in-a-century mind, that he was our contemporary C.S. Lewis. I'm not knowledgeable enough to know if those things are true. But I do know that I had a deep and I have a deep respect for Dr. Keller and that he has had a large influence on me, my faith, my education, my growth as a Christian and a pastor. This week he died after battling cancer. His battle was, was public. And in an interview he was asked how he dealt with the pain, the inevitability of his diagnosis and the unknowns of the journey. This was his response. If the resurrection is true, then everything will be all right. Church, I don't know what part of this journey of life and faith and pain and hardship and joy and struggle that you are on, but I know this. And as Tim Keller has made clear, both logically and philosophically, and as scriptures promise, the resurrection is true. And one day, one glorious day, everything will be all right. What a fantastic, gracious, merciful, loving, and forgiving God we serve. Amen.